Hey everybody, it's Steve Roach here, your host for the FAST podcast. The FAST podcast is brought to you by the Farmed Animal Antimicrobial Stewardship Initiative, or FAST for short. The initiative really exists to provide farmed animal owners and their veterinarians with the news, tools, and resources that they need to help prevent antimicrobial resistance through improved stewardship. This podcast series showcases conversations that we're having with practicing veterinarians that work with farmed animals. In each episode, we discuss how antimicrobial resistance impacts them, what stewardship looks like in daily practice, and perhaps most importantly, what their views on the challenges and potential solutions are to reducing a reliance on antimicrobials moving forward. Today's podcast features a conversation between myself and Dr. Veronique Lepage, a conversation that's really pretty interesting to me. I haven't been exposed to the aquaculture or fisheries industry very much in Ontario, and Veronique is an expert. In fact, she's the only practicing veterinarian that's focusing full-time on aquaculture at this point in time. So with that set up, let's get into it. Thanks, Nikki, uh, for taking some time to talk with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Um, so for those uh, listening that don't have uh, you know, much of a knowledge about who you are or what you get up to in sort of the day-to-day, -day, uh, and I know you have a number of different functions on a day-to-day -day basis, <laughs> um, could you give us just a bit of an introduction as to who you are and what veterinary practice looks like for you? Sure. Um, so I'm a uh, practice owner for La Page Aquatic Veterinary Services, um, and through that, um, the type of veterinary medicine I practice is um, pretty broad but restricted to aquatic animals, um, broad in the sense that I treat aquaculture species, uh, pet fish, and then uh, commercial aquaria or zoo animals. Um, and I'm also a contract aquatic animal pathologist for the Animal Health Lab at the uh, University of Guelph. Great. So you've got a number of different titles and roles and balled up in there, eh? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so, I mean, the, the goal of, of this conversation, the conversations we've been having with veterinarians across uh, Ontario and across species is really to get a sense of what antimicrobial resistance and stewardship uh, means to them, their understanding of it, but more importantly, what it looks like. And so I'm wondering, you know, how do you see resistance affecting uh, your version of the practice of veterinary medicine? Um, well, I think as it pertains to aquaculture species, I think is where we would see the, the greatest impact, um, primarily because of the limited number of antimicrobials available to us. Right. Um, so, you know, we have a, a handful of, of antimicrobials that we are able uh, to use in the industry. And uh, unfortunately, we have been seeing some resistance uh, crop up. Um, it varies greatly from one strain uh, to another, um, but certainly that is a, a great concern. And if, uh, you know, the, the three or four antimicrobials that we have access to, um, we are, you know, gaining resistance to in, in some of the more common pathogens, it becomes a great concern. And so we need to start looking into, you know, alternative methods, ways of managing or mitigating the, you know, emergence of these multi-drug resistance pathogens. Right. Um, yeah, so I mean, those are, are, are certainly, uh, that's the primary way that, that it would affect the industry, um, you know, just limiting uh, the number of antimicrobials and, and what's out there as far as antimicrobials. Um, you know, treats a certain set of diseases, and so it kind of narrows down for each pathogen. We may have, 
you know, for uh, antibiotics out there, for example, but you know, for a specific pathogen, we only have only two work, um, right. and so if one of them is resistant, um, you know, it becomes quite limiting. And what if it is the one that works on that pathogen? And so, um, so yeah, it's something that is that is extremely important, as difficult as it may be for um, for us to kind of take a step back and and, and reduce. Um, the use of antimicrobials or, or how we approach disease, um, ultimately in the end, it's something that uh, we do need to implement before we run into that issue where mm-hmm. we no longer have an antibiotic to use for a specific pathogen. Yeah, and <clears throat> it, it's, I guess, particularly concerning when you just talk about how limited the tool chest is already, right? Exactly, yeah. Do you see uh, or have you experienced cases where you are you know, expo- you're seeing resistance profiles that you're not able to treat with some of these uh, small number of, of uh, antimicrobials you've got available to you? Yeah, so we've done a little bit of a kind of a, a small surveillance plant um, project. Um, and so we were looking at everything that would come into the lab. Um, as far as cultures, we would uh, run sensitivity testing mm-hmm. on every pathogen that would come through just as a basic screen to see are we seeing emergence of, um, of uh, resistance in some of these pathogens and we have um, um, and uh, that's through the uh, Ontario Animal Health Network mm-hmm. and so those results were posted and it was a little bit alarming to see that crop up already just in a small sample that we did have right um, and um, as far as a, a particular case, I did run into a case where um, it wasn't where we had nothing left to use, but out of everything that we have available, we only had one antibiotic that would work. Wow. Um, and so already very limited with that particular outbreak. We had treated with the um, standard antimicrobial for that pathogen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, oftentimes we can't wait for sensitivity testing. And so we, you know, we have a standard go-to for a specific pathogen, which is not necessarily incorrect, um, but we uh, were trying to do our due diligence and did some sensitivity testing on that pathogen and uh, did find out that what we were training with was not going to work, and it wow. had not, um, and that there was only one other tool left <laughs> wow. in our toolbox um, that we could use against that pathogen. And so that was a, um, we were, you know, we're already taking some steps to um, <clears throat> To work at reducing antimicrobial use or, or, or um, indiscriminate use, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that really reinforced things for me at that point. That this is something that I really need to try and push forward, you know, with my clients and spreading that uh, word across our industry, at least in the in the aquatic side. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's kind of freaky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. See it scary. firsthand versus you know hear about it on the mm-hmm. you know various listservs and whatnot because we talk about it, resistance a lot, but seeing it and being faced with it. Yeah, to have to live through that and watch and you know try your your standard go to as far as antibiotic and then you you know you continue to have mortalities. Let's say in a, yeah on a farm. And uh, you're starting to wonder, oh, wow, well, uh, okay, maybe this isn't working. We need to go back and see what does. And, and it confirms that, that, yeah, that wasn't working. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the farmer's, um, you know, um, inappropriate dosing or a mistake as far as, you know, how it was fed out or anything like that, because you always yep. have to rule that out first. But it, it was well 
you know, uh, measured out, well dosed, well administered, and um, we were getting actual resistance to that pathogen. Yeah. That antimicrobial immune. Hmm. Very interesting. <clears throat> so you, you've sort of seen resistance and had to deal with that, and, and so when we often talk about combating resistance, or at least you know slowing or ultimately stopping the spread of antimicrobial resistance, we talk a lot about stewardship, and you've referred to some of the, sort of the, the, the five R's approach sort of to, to make sure we're dealing with the right dose at the right time, the right um, issue, the right antimicrobial. Um, what does stewardship mean to you, and, and more importantly, what should it mean for your clients when you're out there working on these farms? It's creating a greater understanding, um, and it's just to promote positive change. As far as you know, the the role for um, the farmers or the clients themselves. Um, I mean, it's just to, for themselves to promote you know responsible use of antimicrobials, and really, um, I mean, in the end, if we're looking at um, you know different ways in order to. Um, reduce antimicrobial use, then ultimately it's for the better for them. It's in, ultimately be less costly as far as you know the loss of their animals, the use of the antimicrobials. I mean, they themselves hold a cost. So you, I mean, there there are so many facades or fronts to how this is a change for the positive. Ultimately, it can save you know it can save them money, a lot of heartache. It can. Um, you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately when you, you speak in the manner of, you know, finances, um, that really rings a bell with a lot of people, um, and ultimately um, animal welfare as well, you know, reducing the incidence of, um, you know, high mortality rates or right. events like that where you can't intervene. Um, and so responsible use of, of antimicrobials, you know, will eventually kind of lead to that finding alternative methods of, you know, treating your animals or ultimately preventing disease in the first place, yep. I think is a huge part of that. Um, and, you know, promoting those methods, ultimately it's up to the veterinarian to say, well, okay, we're taking, um, you know, we're not going to promote indiscriminate use of antimicrobials, but here's what we'll do to ultimately prevent you from needing that antibiotic in the first place. In first place. Yep. Um, and I mean, that's best case scenario and when you know if if that's how you're explaining it there's not really anyone that can argue with that as being best case scenario yep um yeah oh that's great and i mean it, it sort of jumps into the, the question that i like to ask um vets from from industries like yours that i don't you know have a lot of knowledge in myself and, and that is so what does stewardship and practice look like so you know are there key sort of management practices tools or technologies even that are being employed or, or should be maybe employed in your opinion mm -hmm. to to lessen our reliance on antimicrobials yeah i mean there are plenty of avenues to take um as far as uh, disease preventions i mean vaccines are certainly sure. in the works with a lot of um, countries in Europe being, you know, not allowing use of antimicrobials. They're working um, very quickly at, you know, the development of, of vaccines, and that kind of comes back to the disease prevention aspect. Um, so vaccines is one. Um, I mean, uh, in I think the majority of uh, food animal industries, um, you know, post shipment. Uh, disease outbreaks due to shipment stress mm -hmm. is a major component and yeah. so 
you know, minimizing stress, uh, you know, not shipping animals that are uh, sick, so kind of pre-shipment disease screenings um, to kind of rule out that you're going to ship an animal. It's essentially a, yeah, like a bomb waiting to explode here. Right. You're just... Um, and so if you ensure that you're shipping healthy animals, shipment itself, and, you know, uh, movement of animals into transport, and then uh, removal into their, you know, their final location, um, um, is, is extremely important, um, I think. And, um, you know, there are uh, other methods that can be used that aren't always necessarily realistic, but things like quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a standard practice in kind of the large scale of kind of zoo and aquarium industry, but it's something that I think can translate um, to some extent into the, you know, aquaculture industry to maybe isolate a certain population that has just arrived, for example. Mm -hmm. And okay, one small group may break out with disease, but it's not full blown. It's not the whole population. I mean, the more, it's not just about how, how much you use, um, how often you use the antibiotic, but also on what scale. Sure. Um, you know, because it's the bacteria themselves, how many of them, for how long are they exposed, how many times. And so the more you can reduce that um, in any front, um, the better um, the better it will be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, quarantine, pre-shipment screening, vaccines. There are a lot of technologies that are not around yet but seem to be promising, like phage technologies, right. targeting antibiotics, with or t- targeting microbes without the use of antibiotics yep. and so um, <clears throat> there's certainly lots of promise and I think that's definitely where the future is going um, but yeah all the other methods that I spoke about those those are methods that we can already implement mm-hmm. do you have ex- <clears throat> a, an example or does one come to mind when you think about actually putting that into practice uh, you know a way you've worked with a, a client perhaps that you know you've seen either some of that adoption and you and you've seen sort of the um, well, let's just call it, for lack of a better word, redu- reduction in morbidity and mortality as a result of some of these changes. What's been most impactful for, for them? Yeah, um, I think ultimately for me it was the kind of pre-shipment screening. Mm-hmm. It was definitely um, something that I think um, helps. It also helps to kind of put, um, put people's mind at ease as far as, you know, often it's be fish are being transferred from either a wholesaler or a hatchery in the case of aquaculture, mm-hmm. and then it's being uh, sold to um, like a grow-out facility and, uh, and or a larger scale aquarium or home. Um, and so if you do pre-shipment screening, you find out, okay, so there's a certain level of, you know, parasite infestation and um, whatever it is that you find and you treat that before shipping, um, then you don't break out with whatever pathogen that was and then the secondary infection to that because the fish are so immunocompromised from having the infection in the first place then being subjected to a shipment. Um, And I, I have in pretty much every scenario from, you know, the pet fish aquaculture and the aquarium side Mm -hmm. seeing the benefits of that Um, whereas there's a significant reduction in the number of antimicrobials being used Um, I mean in certain instances it's hard to kind of draw the lines we have had a lot of changes as far as temperatures and 
you know, extreme elevations and temperatures that right. kind of confound that a little bit. Um, but having said that, these other um, usual trends in mortality post-shipment um, can be significantly reduced that way. Mm. Um, and, you know, some changes have also been suggested to some clients as far as the shipment itself, you know, really being hands-on and knowing how these animals are being shipped. Right. Um, you know, um, there are certain things that we can do for like salmonids in aquaculture, for example, to reduce the stress in shipment, kind of implementing, just thinking about those things that we just kind of took for granted. It's like, we just, you know, we produce these fish, we ship them, get them off. If they break out with something, we treat it. But why don't we kind of go backwards here and yeah. really think about what could happen and where can we, where are these checkpoints across yep. that time? And I mean, it, 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 it's, it's beneficial for everyone because I mean, a wholesaler or a hatchery you know, uh, we'll be much happier if the product on the other end, these fish are right. sick and they look great, you know, once they get to the final yep. uh, purchaser. And so, you know, it, it's beneficial across the board for, you know, minimal. Um, and it's also like a targeted, more of a targeted treatment. If treatment is required, mm-hmm. it is because you've actually identified a pathogen. And so it's not an indiscriminate use of antimicrobials yep. or... Uh, even surface treatments. I don't know how much you can or can't speak about um, about some of the work that you've been doing to work with other other veterinarians who mm-hmm. may have an interest in, in serving uh, some of the, the members of this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I mean, with, through the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, we have developed a, um, a course, um, and so we're trying to basically facilitate these changes for the uh, pet fish industry as well as the aquaculture industry Um, and so we've kind of um, um, sought out or or looked and inquired through uh, established practices and and wanted to see uh, how many veterinarians were interested in potentially um, treating fish Um, and we had an overwhelming response and so in November we do have courses taking place where there will be a minimum of another 30 veterinarians on the ground able to treat aquaculture species and then another 30 uh, as well for the pet fish and then it seems to have uh, we seem to have had an overwhelming response where the pet fish industry um, has potentially a second round of another 30 veterinarians being trained to be able to practice fish health, um, and so um, it's it's uh, very encouraging mm-hmm. um, to see that these uh, there is that interest there. I mean, they're basically they're the veterinarians are trained in the basics of medicine across species. It's very readily translated for a food animal practitioner to um, you know to treat fish. They just need a little bit of kind of a how do these things translate over to sure. the, you know a, a very different species? But having said that, when you have the kind of herd health mentality, um, the principles still apply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they have the knowledge about basic disease and pathology and treatments and antimicrobials, and so it translates uh, over quite well. And then, you know, the folks that are interested, the veterinarians that are interested in um, you know exotic species or quite uh, you know small animal practitioners that also treat exotic species are used to having that kind of uh, the different dealing with the different species and how um, different organs 
uh, work and the the um, pathogens um, in these species, and a lot of those cross over with some of the exotic species with the pet fish, and so that knowledge is then quite readily translated over, um, and so I think that they can um, quite quickly be brought up to speed, um, and, and we're really hoping for 2019 to have quite a few more veterinarians on the ground, which will make it much more easy for people to access. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I do cover you know, the, the entire province currently, and so it's, it's challenging for people to get access to uh, veterinary care. Someone who's you know, multiple hours away sure, would be yeah. quite challenging, whereas you know, um, soon they will have access to a veterinarian in their area um, that has knowledge on fish health. Well, that's great. That's that's uh, that's really phenomenal, actually, to hear that kind of uptake and expression mm-hmm. of interest, and yes. especially across the board and from a province perspective. That's that's really that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll move Ontario forward as far as fish health goes. Sure. You know, the coasts are very, um, I guess, have have quite a bit of knowledge as far as you know veterinarians and the number of people involved in fish health. Um, you know, both Atlantic and Pacific. Yep. Uh, and for obvious reasons, the industry is, is much larger. Um, but having said that, we do have a substantial um, industry in Ontario, and uh, it is growing, and we want to be able to support that. Um, and, you know, we can't do that without more veterinarians, especially now with the, um, with the changes mm-hmm. uh, that are happening with the, the bylaws. Right. And well, legislation, it, yeah. And I'm sure that conversation will revolve quite readily around establishing VCPRs with, with mm-hmm. these clients. And then, like you say, uh, you know, ensuring that, that access is, can be timely. I know time yeah. for all species is an important issue in terms of time to treatment, time to access. But exactly. of course, for uh, aquaculture, it is as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so from your perspective, you know, uh, a thousand miles up, what does the future of, of antimicrobial use and stewardship look like in, in farmed animals, or more importantly, in aquaculture and pet fish for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it ultimately it will be, um, you know, minimal use um, of antimicrobials. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're looking for is to reduce, to completely eliminate, ideally, you know, resorting to them as worst case scenario and um, to create an environment where there is no need mm-hmm. for them ultimately you know vaccination prophylactic measures quarantine um, yeah ultimately pro- you know um, preventing the the use of or the need for antimicrobials um, which subsequently reduces the antimicrobial resistance um, in the end um, you know we hope to continue um, things like um, surveillance projects to obviously keep a pulse on the situation as well if we can kind of watch it as it happens and know ahead of time then we know you know how to adapt prior to um, but yeah I mean ultimately um, the goal um, big picture is is to uh, drastically reduce to eliminate um, in a perfect <laughs> world, uh, the use of antimicrobials. I mean, some countries have already done it. Right. Um, so, I mean, looking to them, as far as examples, what measures are they implementing yep. for these types of scenarios? Um, and so, you know, it's 
we're not the first to do it and move forward on this and so we you know have the advantage that we can kind of look to others for how we can you know approach this um, before there there is a problem but yeah. well that's great well I think I think you're right and I think that, you know you mentioned some of the other bits before about you know emerging technologies and the place they may have and sort of helping to support, uh, you know, a, a reduced use, uh, yeah. you know, and reliance maybe on some of these other methods for, you know, addressing the challenges that we face moving forward in animal health. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thanks very much for, uh, for taking the time, Nikki. We appreciate uh, your thoughts and your feedback and uh, on the important issue at hand. And uh, we just want to commend you for all the good work that you've been doing in the industries across Ontario. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, and there you have it. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to keep checking back with us as we're going to continue to put new podcasts on this issue up on SoundCloud and the FAST website. And we're also working on other tools and resources for veterinarians and farmed animal owners, all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. So please stay tuned and check back at our website, www.amstewardship.ca, to get more information and up-to-the-minute facts on what's going on in Ontario with respect to stewardship. Now, FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, Acer Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals, prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for upcoming policy and regulatory changes, and preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.